0: Our scripture today is found in Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Find the festival sacrifice with cords and the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever.
1: This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good and well done, Sheeple. You've memorized that very well. One more time. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if you have a history of going to church, then you most likely know this phrase. Uh, this phrase is from Psalm 118.24, and it's our lectionary reading for today. This is the final sermon in our series on Lent, boot camp for the soul and uh, yeah, tomorrow we're entering into Holy Week with a Good Friday service at 10am and then our Easter Sunday service at 10am as well. And uh, Easter Sunday will actually kick off a new series that we're going to call Closer and Closer. And uh, in case you're wondering, the these themes that I get, I get from a book called The Preacher's Guide to Lectionary Sermon Series. Yeah, only a preacher would ever read a book with a title like that. But uh, that's uh, you know, what I do. And so that you know, I get my kind of overarching themes of the series from the book. And I also use their suggested lectionary readings and then everything else uh, is uh, me and the Holy Spirit and Nathan who often helps me work through um, you know, the uh, um, thoughts and the main points. Last week, we uh, had a powerful time as we entered into the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. And we asked ourselves, um, who do we most identify with in this passage? Is it the prophet Ezekiel who's prophesying life into the dry bones? Or perhaps we are the dry bones thems- themselves, helpless and in need of a fresh wind of life from the Holy Spirit. And So this morning, to kind of follow up from last week's recognition that we need life, this morning we're going to wrap up our boot camp for the soul um, by breaking down a life-giving routine. Now, r- routine is absolutely part of the boot camp experience Kate, Kate shared about her routine a few weeks ago at the RCMP uh, camp that she went to when she was younger, and her routine, as she shared, it was very strict, it was enforced, and it was really predictable. You knew what you were going to be doing when you woke up that morning, and maybe this is one of the One of the takeaways from uh, our sermon this morning is that the more unpredictable your life is, the more important a predictable routine is. The more unpredictable your life is, the more important it is for you to have a predictable spiritual routine. Meaning that if you're maybe dealing with things in your life that are outside of your control, maybe you're looking at major change or maybe you're faced with a major loss, Uh, then it's vital that you have spiritual routines in place, a healthy regimen. When so much in your life is unpredictable, make sure that your spiritual walk is predictable. And this brings us back to our verse this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we know this verse, it's a very well-known verse, but what we don't realise is that the very next line in Psalm 118 says this, Lord, save us, Lord, please grant us success. So you've got rejoicing immediately followed by a plea for the Lord to save And by the way, the word save us, as Wendy mentioned earlier, is the word Hosanna, which is what the people shouted on Palm Sunday as Jesus processed into Jerusalem on a donkey. So we've got rejoice, then we've got save us. We've got rejoice, then we've got save us. And when I started reading Psalm 118 this past Monday, this tension immediately stood out. I asked myself, what does the psalmist, or why does the psalmist have the idea of... of, Mm -hmm. Rejoicing, interlocking with the plea for God to save them. Now, of course, we can't get into the mind of the psalmist, but I think if nothing else, this juxtaposition highlights an important truth that the life of the follower of Christ is constantly in tension. It's a, it's a life which is um, a life of maybe paradox. We could use that word because on the one hand is rejoicing in the day that the lord has made on the other hand is a plea for god to save us and i firmly believe that the more a believer can get comfortable with this paradox the stronger their faith will eventually be If we only focus on the rejoice aspect, we can look a bit sincere and a bit laughable. However, if we only focus on the save us and the hosanna, then we can look morose. We can look hopeless, uh, as if we're calling to a God who never actually gets around to saving us. And so I think another thing that this tension of verse 24 and 25 shows us is that life is unpredictable. One minute you're rejoicing in God, the next minute you're pleading for him to save you. And this brings me back to this maxim that the more unpredictable your life is, the more important that your connection to God is predictable, even boring. I'm a strong proponent of a boringly predictable connection to Almighty God. Not that God is boringly predictable, of course he's not, but your means of connecting to God should be boringly predictable in other words your devotion life needs a structure it needs an architecture and in psalm 118 19 through 29 we see such an architecture we see a structure of how to engage with almighty god through through these 10 verses we are taken from the outside of the city into the inner courts and so as we're walking through this I want you to imagine how these 10 verses as we go through them might apply to your daily life with God and it starts with going through the gates of thanksgiving open the gates of righteousness for me I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord this is the Lord's gate the 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 righteous will enter through it I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. Psalm 118 verse 21. And after going through the gates, we arrive at the cornerstone in verse 22. Now this most likely would have been the cornerstone of the temple itself. So you can have that in your your mind's eye. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then encountering this cornerstone elicits a sense of wonder from, from the pilgrim. This came from the Lord and it is wondrous in, in our sight. And the idea here is that there was a stone from the quarry was selected it was picked up it was chosen it was turned over it was examined it was then rejected by the masons it failed quality control and yet this stone that was erroneously rejected is now ironically and against all odds the cornerstone of the building it's the reference stone for all of the other stones it's the centerpiece the stone that is the underdog everyone loves an underdog st- story and scripture time and time again references psalm 118 verse 22 to make the case that jesus who was rejected is now the very linchpin or the cornerstone of our faith mark 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 chapter 12 verse 8 is a great example is ephesians 2 our church life verse uh is a great example and first peter 2 verses 4 as you come to him a living stone rejected by By people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going through your life in a humdrum way and you're wondering what is the purpose of life, here is a great verse for you to memorize. Because this is us. We are a spiritual house, we're living stones, and we're being built. Into a holy priesthood and when we hear this shocking news of the story of the underdog cornerstone our response is wonder this came from the lord and it's wondrous in our sight and then after the cornerstone you know we've seen the cornerstone of the temple and then we arrive at the temple itself this place of worship he who comes in the name of the lord is blessed from the house of the lord we bless you verse number 26 this is where worship happens because what's what's happened if we track it through is that we've gone through the gate of thanksgiving and uh, who is the gate? Well, Jesus said, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, John chapter 10. And then who is the cornerstone? This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven by which peop- uh, which is given to people by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. So Jesus is the cornerstone. We then walk in, into the temple of blessing, this place of worship. And who is the temple? Well, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Therefore the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. John chapter 2. So Jesus is the temple and it's through Jesus that we bless others around us so we enter the gates with thanksgiving we wander at the cornerstone we bless others from the temple and we're going deeper and deeper into the presence of mighty God and then finally we get to the place where the business happens the altar and once again at this place we give thanks verse number 27 the Lord is God and has has given us light bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar verse number 27. Now, it's worth mentioning that the NIV, unlike the CSB, which we generally use, that the the, the NIV words it it in a different way, as do other translations. And this is how the NIV translates it, with bows in hand, join in a festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And once again, very strong Palm Sunday overtones. Here. So I'm not sure which is right, if it's binding the festal sacrifice with cords or with bows and hands in the festal pro- procession. But either way, you know, the point is that the horned altar is the centerpiece of the action. It's where everything's heading towards. And of course, the uh, altar is where the sacrifice of atonement would happen. The life of an innocent creature, which is given for the life of the guilty people of God. And who is the sacrifice on the altar? Hebrews 7 tells us he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do first for their own sins then for the other people then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. And so Jesus is the sacrifice on the altar. And what is our response to Jesus laying down his life for us? Psalm 118, verse number 28. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And, of course, uh, God's most faithful love was seen most clearly in Jesus hanging on the altar of the cross. So I'm hoping that we're starting to see that in Psalm 118, verse 19 through 29, that we have this entire architecture of how to come to God. We enter through the gates of Christ with thanksgiving. We look at the cornerstone of Christ with wonder. We bless others from the temple that is Christ. And we worship at the altar of Christ with Thanksgiving. And I think that this is a pretty solid structure for prayer. We start with Thanksgiving. We thank God for all that he has done. We then move on to wonder. I wonder if you're honest, how much of your prayer time with God is spent on wondering? Okay? Not wondering. I know our prayers often wonder. But how much of it is spent on wondering? Wondering at the truth of the gospel? Wondering at the mystery, you know, of father son and holy spirit one god in three persons or wondering at the paradox of jesus being god and man do we wonder at the marvel of god's creation and so if you ever feel that perhaps you, the wonder quotient of your faith life is getting rather pedestrian then here's an idea you go to wikipedia and in the drop down menu you click random article you read it and then you turn that into a prayer so i did this this week and i learned about um, john john pibush who's a catholic martyr and i praised god for him I then hit random again, and I learned about Six Seconds, a non-profit that researches and teaches people about emotional intelligence, and I realized that I need emotional intelligence, and I prayed God for emotional intelligence. Finally, I hit random one more time, and I learned about a village called um, maybe Karangu, I think is, is how it's named. Um, it's, in the country, it's in the country of Iran. 365 people live there. In the 2006 census, made up of 87 families. How else would I have ever learnt about a village in Iran of 365 people unless I went onto Wikipedia and I hit random article? And then what happened is I took the north and south, all the coordinates, and I actually went onto Google Earth, I typed it in, and I looked at the village. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. And I spent this wonderful time just really praying. You know you know for the Lord to move there in that place which I'd have never have heard of unless I hit random article you know we can also watch nature documentaries we can learn about space we can read a book on theology uh, we can watch you know the Bible project videos we can go for a drive we can read the National Geographic magazines and pray through them and wonder at what God has created we can go out for a walk How can you incorporate wonder into your worship life? And then we move into the temple, and from the temple of Christ, we bless people. We pray for people in need. We can lift up our family members. We can pray for unreached peoples of the world. Or how about this for an idea? You prayerfully go onto Google Earth. Oops. And you... You hit again. It sounds like I'm advocating games of chance, or I don't want anyone to start gambling because of this. But uh, you know, but you go onto Google Earth, and then you go and you hit the random random dice button. Let's see what happens if we actually do it now, and then we pray for what we see. So here we do. So we're on Google Earth. Here's the I'm Feeling Lucky dice. Uh, At the moment, it's on Lake Lake Joseph, which is here in Ontario. But if we hit random, then we go to the Gulf of Carpentaria. Carpentaria, never heard of that before. But it's in Northern Australia. And uh, what we're going to do is I'll show you how, how I use this. You know, to pray for people. So, here we are in this zone. Uh, I'm going to zoom in on this little, yeah, peninsula here. It's an island. I don't know if you can get street view here. Okay, there's no street view. We're we're like really in the middle of nowhere here. Okay, here we go. There will be something here. Okay, let's let... Let's see if we can go on street view here. Anything? Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, but it would show up as blue, if it, if it was there. Okay. You know what? Let's just hit random one more time, because I want to see. I, I, I want you to see what I do, because it's super cool. You you can pray for the people of Carpentaria later. Okay. But uh, it 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 that sounds like a fake European country in a romantic movie from the nineties. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's uh, okay. Anyway, so so then if there is Street View, let's see. Okay, good. S- so you have Street View, and we're going to go to this place called 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 Grevback, and then let's see what happens here if there is anything around it would would, would help fire the mouse okay here we go okay so let's just see so we're going to go to Street View okay so there we go there's a house there's a house right there okay now you can imagine that the number of times I've done this, I've ended up in a, in a, a built-up place in India. I've ended up in somewhere in North America. I've ended up in France in some little village. Well, here's a little place. I don't know who lives at 195 Verstragurterland County. I have no idea who that is, but I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to pray this prayer. Uh, so here's the thing, right, is that God knows who they are. Here's the amazing thing. And and whoever lives in that house is as important to almighty God as you are sat here. And so I'm going to pray uh, a a prayer what you know, you know, once again I don't want to create a prayer. I want to create a prayer. I want to read a prayer that already exists. So join me as we pray for this house. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe Lord I pray that you would just show, show this family that you are real and that you love them Lord I pray that they would know this power the, the, the same power as the mighty strength that you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead, and you seated Christ at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rules and authorities, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in, but Lord, in the one to come. Lord, I pray that this yeah, little place that n- no one's ever heard of and we won't ever think of again, maybe, but that, but that uh, you, you know their needs and that you would show up in a mighty and a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can do that over and over again and your prayer life never has to be boring. <laughs> and then finally, we end up at the altar Anyone see my clicker? Oh, yeah. This is what happens when you have multiple stands. I thought I was being smart. And then you end up at the altar at this place where this sacrifice happens. And, of course, the ultimate sacrifice uh, took place once and for all on Calvary in the middle of three crosses. And our response to this amazing sacrifice is, You are my God. I will give you thanks You are my god i will exalt you give thanks to the lord for he is good his faithful love endures forever so you have the gate you have the cornerstone you have the temple and you have the altar and we're getting closer and closer into the heart of god through thanksgiving and through wonder and through blessing and through thanksgiving once again and woven into every part of this liturgy Uh, of praise this architecture of adoration is Jesus because Jesus is the gate Jesus is the cornerstone Jesus is the temple and Jesus is the sacrifice on the altar prayer is all about Jesus 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 now I've seen the movie Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie and I really enjoyed it it's that whole Indiana Jones feel or national treasure it's really good stuff However, if I was watching this film at home and someone rang me, I would pause the film and I would answer the phone. However, when I went to Cambodia last year and I stood in the temple of Taprom in Siem Reap, the place where Tomb Raider was filmed, if my notification on my phone went off, I would have ignored it because I was there, I was present, I was undistractable. Why? Because the physical architecture of the temple protected me from distraction of lesser things. And that is the difference between vague muddled praying that we usually do and praying with architecture. Because remember that the more unpredictable your life is, the more important it is for you to have a predictable routine. And we can also say that the more easily distracted you are, the more Vital is that you create this mental architecture in which you can encounter God. Something like Psalm 118, uh, you know, the gate temple um, or gate cornerstone temple altar idea, or maybe pray, right? Praise, repent, ask, yield, or you can do soap, which I know some cornerstoners do, uh, scripture, observation, application, prayer, or acts, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and and supplication. There's even one that's called altar, adore, love, thank, ask, and receive. And 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 what this shows me is is that you know too much of our praying is closing our eyes and hoping for the best. And too much of our worship is random thoughts that we hope somehow mold into something that God will accept it's like we're shooting off a shotgun and hoping that we hit it's like we we think that prayer is setting our minds to wander free in this 3d realm of in this formless void and we're mentally floating around we haven't got anything to anchor ourselves to there's no substance and we expect to be able to focus enough to pray just by closing our eyes it doesn't work And that's why I believe that we need architecture for our prayers, just like the Israelites did in Psalm 118, to move through phases of prayer from thanksgiving to wonder, to blessing, to thanksgiving. Or pray, praise, repent, ask you, whichever one works for you. We need to help ourselves to pray, because we cannot pray by ourselves. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And then this matter becomes even more urgent when we remember that in the middle of Psalm 118 of verses 24 and 25, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us, Lord, please grant us success. I use the word urgent because these verses represent the tension that we so often feel as we come into prayer. Let's rejoice, save me. Lord, I rejoice that you're good, but everything's not okay. It's a tension it's a paradox and it's one that the psalmist uh, seems to feel totally comfortable experiencing however me i'm not so comfortable experiencing that i'm either one or i'm the other i'm either rejoicing or i'm 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 crying to god for help however it's when i'm floating on the thermals of god when i'm rejoicing in him that i need to be praying save me why because it's at that moment when i'm Rejoicing in God that I'm open to attack from the enemy. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, 1 first, first, first Corinthians 12. In other words, my rejoice needs a save me. And my save me needs a rejoice. It's in the trials of life when I need saving that I most need to be practicing rejoicing. Why? Because Nehemiah worded it best, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Which then leads me to the challenge. How can I create a structure, an architecture of prayer that takes into account both the joys of life in Christ and the fact that I desperately need saving on a second to second basis? How do I create a life-giving routine that makes room for the joys of life in Christ and the realities of the broken world in which I live? And the answer is, I don't. Friends, I've realized that I'm not creative enough to build a structure of prayer that has the power to encapsulate both the need to rejoice and the need for me to be saved. And it's actually quite nice because I don't need to because someone else already has. We started this teaching with Psalm 118, verse number 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. And out of this whole section This is the one part that isn't a place. You know this whole these whole ten verses have to be about places and locations, whereas a day isn't a place. A day is a now. A day is a time, it's temporal, it's not locational. And so the psalmist is sort of saying that you've seen the gate, you've seen the cornerstone, you've seen the temple, you've seen the altar. These are the places, these are the touch points. Now this is the time. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. And so the question again is this, how do I bring together these two things, this place of prayer, the gate and the cornerstone, the temple and the altar, and the time. Of of prayer this is the day that the Lord has made let us rejoice and 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 be glad in it Lord saves how do I bring those two things together or maybe I can word it like this how can I carry around the the truth of God's presence so that whether I'm in the grocery store or the doctor's office or the school hallway or or a toxic household wherever I am I have a way to enter into the presence of God cuz here's the thing if it's up to me trying to remember I will forget every single time and so what I've found for me personally is that I need a portable worship structure that I can carry with me and I need and and I need it to be ready to use I need a ritual I need a routine I need a habit I need to be able to use it at a moment's notice and I need it to be something I can hold something physical you know in the same way that walking through the temple was a physical experience I need something physical to hold on to because if it's if it's physical just like that temple in Cambodia my mind can focus on what it has to be focused but it can't be the size of a temple. It has to be small because so I can carry around with it. And that's why I have the alarm on my old school watch. I set it to ring at 11.30, at 2.30 p.m. and 8 p.m. And each time this alarm rings, my, I am reminded of my need for God I don't allow myself the luxury of believing that I have the memory, that I will remember naturally that I need God. I know that I have to be reminded. And so not every time, but most times that alarm rings, my thoughts turn automatically to my saviour. And that begins my next action. I take off my prayer bracelet off my wrist, and I pray through it. This is called an Anglican rosary or a prayer bracelet. Now, I've prayed rosaries or prayer bracelets for a few years now, but I kept on losing them, and so I created this one that I could wear on my wrist. And this is my portable gate. This is my cornerstone. This is my temple. This is my altar. It's a physical aid that represents a spiritual reality. And then after taking off the prayer, prayer bracelet, I do one of two things. If I'm at home or in the office, I take one of my prayer books. These are physical representations, but I have them all on my Kindle. And I pray through one of them. Again, it's a boring leap. It's, it's a boring and a predictable way for me to encounter the amazingness of God. Or if I'm out and about and I'm driving or I'm walking and shopping. If I can't stop and read because that would look weird in the middle of Walmart, then what I do is I take it off and I thumb my way around. And I say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Or I say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm walking around, I'm just going from bead to bead, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Whatever it is, it's a short phrase that I've easily remembered. And it's split into four sections. And so if I wanted to, I could do the ACTS acronym or the PRAY acronym. In fact, on uh, Monday night, I walked around North Gore and I prayed, the psalm 118 architecture i entered in the gates of thanksgiving and i and then i and then i wondered at the cornerstone and then i entered into the temple and i prayed for seven people because there were seven beads and then i and then i ended at the altar and i and i was just thanking god for his amazing sacrifice and it was incredible because here's, here's what happens, as I pray around this prayer bracelet by physically holding it in my hand, I go on a journey with God and by the end of it, whether five or 10 or 15 minutes later, I am transformed. So this bracelet for me is the architecture where my tension of needing to rejoice and, and my needing to be saved lives in the same space. And, and for centuries the church has practiced uh, something known as the daily office where we just meet regularly with the Lord. For centuries, the church has practiced life-giving routines, rituals of prayer. For centuries, you know, the church has practiced using all sorts of literature to help them in their prayer. And yet somehow we've replaced these architectures of worship, of communing with God with a five-minute morning devotion, if we're lucky, and we somehow think that this isn't going to have a detrimental effect on our souls. So public service announcement. If you want to find out more about this, let me know, and I'll put on a workshop. Friends, Palm Sunday is about encountering the Messiah as he enters the temple through the gates and so here's my question for you as we wrap up our boot camp of lent as we prepare for holy week and the easter season what is your life-giving routine that that boringly connects you with an ever exciting almighty trinitarian god who loves you and has everything that you need now you might not need alarms on your wrist or a prayer bracelet on your wrist you might have another way and that's fine but for me, this is my architecture. I need a gate. I need a cornerstone. I need a temple. I need an altar. And ever since I've started to build this structure into my life, I find hope in passing through the gate. I find peace in wondering at the cornerstone. I find joy in blessing others from the temple. And I find that I'm transformed as I practice thanksgiving at the altar. And the more unpredictable my life gets, the more important a predictable routine is. And through this routine, this architecture, I'm making peace with the fact that the normal Christian life is saying every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, followed quickly by Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success.